Today is December 9th, 2022. Welcome to the Chapter 49 podcast. Uh, We are happy that you have chosen to join us today. We try to keep this as as weekly as we can. Chapter 49 represents IRS employees, most of them anyway, in the state of Indiana. And of course, uh, we welcome once again our chapter president, Duncan Giles. Duncan, I think we should celebrate. I got the year correct today. That is always a good thing, although, you know, I always look forward to trying to get future lottery numbers. Yeah, the, uh, if, for those who missed it last week, I, I actually gave the date as 2023. Somehow I had 2023 in my mind, and Duncan corrected me and asked for the lottery numbers, which I said I might give him. I wasn't sure, uh, going back to the future. But, uh, you know, Duncan, uh, there's a lot of news, and I want to just pick out a couple of things. There's so much news going on. But I'm very happy to see Brittany Griner, the WNBA player, was, was finally released from Russian custody, of course, United States had to give up a pretty ugly guy in, in, in this Victor Boot. He was an arms dealer and a pretty nasty character from everything I've read. But he'd already served 11 years of his 20-some-year terms, uh, and, and uh, he will be sent back to Russia. The one thing that gets me, and, and you know what I hear from people, Duncan, all the time is, well, you know, this probably is a lesson that you should never go to Russia. But here's the problem. These WNBA players aren't paid enough and they almost all of them have to go overseas to play in the off season to make a decent living. And Russia has been one of the higher paying places for women's basketball players to go. So perhaps rather than complain about, you know, Hey, don't go to Russia. Maybe you should say, Hey, maybe we should uh, pay our women's basketball players more. Yeah. The women's, the WNBA and the college women's basketball, and I'm sure local high school as well. There's a lot of great basketball going on there, and they should be paid accordingly at the pro level, and unfortunately just aren't. And like you said, to you know supplement their income, it's sort of like the old baseball players or football players back from the 50s and 60s when they didn't make enough and had to have off-season jobs to, to make it. Same type of thing for them. They have to go overseas to make enough money to make it professionally. But if you want to play uh, in the offseason, let's stay away from Russia, no matter how well paid you are. I don't think that's a good place to go, at least not in the current environment. Let's get down to business here. Uh, let's start with budgets. We send this time of year, we tend to talk about them a lot. A couple of things to say. You know, there is a, a continuing resolution. We're recording this again on the 9th of December. It expires, I believe, on the 16th, if I recall correctly. And... Uh, there is this omnibus thing out there. There have been some people in the Congress who say they're just throwing their hands up and saying, let's get a, have a year-long CR, which would be a terrible thing. The thing is, both parties really don't want that because each side has agency money they want in there. So if it's a CR for a year, everybody sort of loses. So I think even though there's been a lot of saber-rattling on this, uh, eventually there'll have to be some kind of, of budget Reached. And, of course, the, the, the news for IRS employees that we all need to keep in mind is that even if there is a government shutdown, which we don't want to happen because there are many of our uh, brothers and sisters in the federal workforce who will be off work and, and not paid for a while, but at IRS, we will work and we will still be paid. Explain again why that is the case. Yeah, because of the Inflation Reduction Act that passed earlier this year that gave the IRS the funds to 
you know, improve customer service, improve, improve enforcement, technology, things of that nature. Um, the powers that be at the head of the IRS have said, if there is a shutdown, we do have the money to pay employees. So we will be open. Everybody will be expected to come in and we will be getting paid on time. So that's that's a good thing. But like you said, nobody wants to shut down. Um, you know, this omnibus has been talked about for quite a while. Now they've come up with the possible year-long CR, which some people in Congress don't want because they want it to be a month-long CR so we can rehash everything, um, you know, with the next Congress. So it's just the usual fun. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's sad that federal workers have to be put in the middle of this time and time again, year after year, because there are these political squabbles going on. So the bottom line is, and, and uh, I understand, Duncan, you talked to somebody today who didn't even know that the IRS would continue to work during a government shutdown. So if you're listening or watching this podcast, I want to spread the word for your IRS brethren and sisters that uh, even if there's a shutdown, IRS will come to work and will get paid. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that, you know, it's ugly watching the sausage made, you know, getting made, but... Yeah, we that's part of the process and you know, we need to enjoy this. So, you know, at least we'll have money coming into our wallets, but if there is a shutdown, other people won't. So it's very important that we try and um, you know, make sure that we do everything we can, reaching out to our representatives and senators to urge them to come to, you know, a, a sensible agreement to give us proper funding, which would be part of the omnibus bill. Also uh, tied to the whole budget issue is the annual pay raise for federal employees that normally takes effect at the beginning of the calendar year. Uh, The pay raise uh, is still a bit in in question, although we do know that Department of Defense civilian employees will get, and I think also the uniform, if I'm right, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's 4.1%. Uh, uh, across the board and one half of 1% going to locality pay. So we know that's the DOD number. Is it looking, whether it's good or bad, does it look more and more like all federal workers will will get that amount of raise? That's what we're looking at, and that's what we're hearing at this point. Um, The president has not issued the final uh, numbers yet, uh, but we do expect it to be that 4.1 and a half percent for the rest of the federal civilian workforce, which, you know, it doesn't, people have talked to me, it doesn't cover inflation. You know, it's not as much as we should get. And I have no argument with that. Absolutely none. But, you know, this has to go through Congress. So there are going to be a lot of compromises. And this is the best that they thought they'd be able to get. Do we hope to get some more next year to help alleviate some of this? Absolutely. But that's what we're looking at right now. We should have final word on that in the uh, next week or so. And, and let me once again, this, the, a week from the ninth, when we record this, you never know when somebody's going to listen or, or watch this, this podcast. But uh, the one thing that we need to, to keep in mind is that, uh, you know, we never know exactly what's going to happen in the end. And, and that there's a big difference between what retirees get and what employees get. I'm a retiree and that raise uh, each year and the annuity is tied to inflation. Uh, the federal employee raise has never been tied to inflation. There have been some years retirees got virtually no raise and employees got one. And now it's kind of turned uh, the other way where retirees are 
are getting more because of the rate of inflation. So there's always a lot of confusion about that. But those are, are two entirely different systems, so people need to keep that in mind. Absolutely correct. Yeah, we wish we were tied to inflation to be able to figure things out. But we're, um, you know, it's part of the political process for uh, current federal employees. And that's that's what makes it such an adventure. And we've talked many times, uh, speaking of money, about uh, health insurance open season. That's true for the health insurance, the FEHB, and also for the benefits plans. Uh, we are now uh, just days away from the end of that open season. So if you want to change your health insurance or health coverage, you'd better make that decision quickly if you're listening to this uh, close to the ninth. And it is, when does this end? Remind me of the, the last date you can do this. The 12th. So we've got very little time. And, um, it's, and it's one of those things where you know, if we just, I just want people to make sure they're making the right choice for them and their family. Use, if you're an NTU member, use the consumer checkbook on the NTU website. It's wonderful to compare plans. And, you know, just do what's right for you and your family and hopefully save yourself some money. That's, that's, I just want make people to have the availability to make a decision that could help them. So uh, if you're listening to this close to the 9th or before the 12th, uh, you really have to get going. <laughs> Check that consumer yeah. checkbook. Um, if you want to make a change, you need to make that change quickly. Uh, but at least the deadline is the 12th, and you can still make that change up to that point. You can. Is that like you have to do it by close of business on the 12th or what? Uh, what I do, believe so. Okay. So once, once uh, you, before you go home that day, you need to do that. And is this all done online now? Yeah, basically, once you determine what you want to do, you go to the employee personnel page on the left-hand side of your uh, EPP. Uh, it has all your options. You click on health insurance, and then you do click on the right side for self-service, and that's where you choose a new plan. Or if you're going from uh, family or self plus one to self or making those types of changes. Let's move on to another issue. And anytime we're talking about a federal appeals court, there's always legal ease that we have to get through. Now, there's been a recent appeals court decision. There are a couple of different ways an appeals court makes decisions. There are usually several judges. I think this particular appeals court has 12 judges in total. And what normally happens in the first phase, you file an appeal, you get like the decision, you get at the, the lower court, you file the, the federal appeals court. What will normally happen is that the uh, chief judge will appoint a three-judge panel to hear the case. That's what happened when NTEU went to court. So look, people who are... Um, victimized by government shutdown should be able to get damages as a result of that, more than just their back pay. Uh, specifically, the uh, issue was the 2018-19 shutdown that was very long and, and very painful for a whole lot of federal employees. Uh, we told stories about what happened to people in Indiana and how their finances had been damaged so badly as, as a result of that. So uh, there was a request for damages that three-judge panel in a two-to-one vote ruled against NTEU. What NTEU is now doing is appealing to the entire court, saying, okay, the three-judge panel uh, ruled against us. We had one judge on our side, two against us. 
we want the entire court to hear the case. Now, they don't have to if they don't want to, but we hope that there's enough interest in this issue that the uh, this court will, in fact, hear the case. The, all the judges will sit in, listen to the arguments, and make a ruling on this. And we're, you know, it's basically you know, we have to get a majority of judges on our side to win the case. So, Duncan, kind of go over again just exactly what the issues are. Now, I've kind of talked about the mechanics of it. More specifically, what are the issues at hand here? Yeah, the issues are that folks who were um, accepted employees had to come in during the 35-day shutdown. They knew about halfway that they were going to get paid for it, but they didn't know when they were going to get paid. So they're coming into work for more than two pay periods and not getting the pay uh, on time and, and when they should. So our position has been, and I wholeheartedly understand it and agree with it, is that these folks were damaged. They were hurt. A lot of them had to go get payday loans and things of that nature to try and stretch it because there aren't a lot of people that can miss a couple of paychecks and be fine, even if they know the money's coming later. So the damages type thing is what we're looking at and uh, appealing to the full circuit court, and we hope that the appeals court uh, does take that on. Yeah, because if the full appeals court doesn't take it, the only place to go is the Supreme Court, and that would be uh, something our attorneys would have to figure out whether it's worth uh, going to that because there's a lot of expense involved in doing that. Well, we've taken, as a union, NTEU has many cases to the Supreme Court, and we've won our share. You don't win them all. But we've won our share of cases that went to that that uh, extent. So we're still in that litigation process. That was a setback, but our attorneys are still working on getting damages for these people who had to work and weren't getting paid and had tremendous financial damage as a result of that. So yeah, one of, one go ahead, go, go right ahead Duncan, is, please. Uh, part of the dues that you pay, that NTU members pay, goes to... Um, our attorneys and our staff, and we have a great legal department that deals with this. Um, it was, you know, for many years headed by a gentleman named Greg O'Duden. He left it in the very capable hands of Julie Wilson, who's a head of our that department now. And they make those decisions. They argue in front of courts on behalf of employees for employees' benefit. So this is something that NTU does uh, for all employees to try and you know, make sure things are done correctly and right. You know, Duncan, I've had uh, people tell me uh, who are familiar with the whole federal sector and the union management uh, situation, and they told me uh, to a person, people who are familiar with this, that, you know, NTEU is not the largest federal employee union. However, NTEU has the best legal staff of any union. I still think that's true today. And I do too. We, uh, you know, Uniformly, the attorneys that I deal with, whether they be in the field offices, negotiations department, um, our, our head legal staff that takes a look at this, all of them are just very, very sharp. And even more importantly, they're dedicated to trying to help federal employees because you get a lot of sharp employees out there, but they're not really invested with employees. And, you know, our our leadership, Tony Reardon, Doreen uh Doreen Greenwald, who are president, national president, and vice president, make sure that our folks are invested that work for us, because if they're not, they're not going to be wanting to really 
do the best that they can for the employees that they represent. Okay, let's move on to the next issue. And this one's very interesting. We've talked about this before, but I'm curious where it's at at the moment. We all know about accounts management. Accounts management handles phone calls. They handle uh, all sorts of um, taxpayer issues, paper, and, and other things at the uh, at the campuses, what we used to call service centers. Some people still do call them that. But there's been a solicitation that went out saying, hey, people working in SBSE, LB&I, TEGE, I think everybody but the custodial staff, would you like to help us out during the tax season? In paper, on the phones, however you can do it. I'm just wondering, Duncan, uh, what's the response been, or have you had a chance to, to measure that yet? That's still in the early stages, so we haven't really had a chance to measure it. We're still... There's still a lot of unknown questions that haven't been solved yet. Um, you know, how long this is going to be. They say it's to April 15th, but right now we've had doubts about how long these surges will last. Witnessing our national grievance that our guests talked about a couple weeks ago on these. So we want to make sure that what's going to happen to the caseload that the people who volunteer um, are doing, because some of them may have statute issues things of that nature, timing issues that they have to take care of. How is that all going to work? And, you know, they're, they're trying again to get to this mythical 85% um, level of service that I just don't see happening. You know, they keep talking about, well, they've hired 3,000 people, they're hiring another 1,000, and all these people should be ready by President's Day. Well, I, you know... That they've hired a lot of them. How many are still going to be around by President's Day is the question, because the fallout rate is pretty high. And I, you know, I'd love to see us have a high level of service. I'd love to see the taxpayers being taken care of. Um, you know, but the fact that they're having to reach out to more and more people to see if they can help shows that they're not near ready to go uh, towards that yet. When you're talking SBSC and and. TEGE as well, especially LB&I. You're talking about employees greater to grades 12 and 13, right? Absolutely, 12, 13, possibly 14. So when you're dealing with that, what incentive is there for them to go do this work? You know, I'm I'm going to answer that question as soon as I know it. Uh, <laughs> So um, what I understand, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not large bonuses involved, as I understand it. No, not large bonuses. It's just, you know, hey, trying to pitch in and help. Some of them may want to do something a little bit different. Um, but a lot of these folks have never dealt with this type of work, uh, especially when you're talking about uh, revenue agents in TEGE and LBI. You know, they haven't done work on the phones. They don't deal with this, with the individual stuff. So it's going to be, you know, foreign for them. They're going to get a couple of weeks of training and be thrown on the phones or doing, um, you know, paper uh, work that's basically transmitted to them via computer, scanned and uh, transmitted to them. We just we don't know what the response is going to be out there uh, or what incentive that they are going to have. We hope there are some incentives for them, but it's it's going to be interesting uh, to see what's going to happen, aside from the fact that we need all the help that we can get. You know, it reminds me, Duncan, many, many years ago, I was asked to help out at a volunteer event 
where uh, people were being helped with their taxes. And there were a couple of corporate, big uh, corporate uh, tax people that volunteered their time to come help these people with their taxes. My job is just to walk around and answer questions. So I had this high, highly paid corporate uh, tax attorney come up to me and say, what is the earned income credit? So that's exactly. So, you know, this is the kind of thing that would happen if you're an LBNI agent or some of these others, a highly paid SBSE, TEGE, a whole different part of the tax law, and you're asking them to help accounts management, that's what accounts management does. They're doing individual tax returns. And a lot of these people, uh, maybe at one time, dealt with that, but haven't for years. Yeah. Or they've never gone into the system that we use that looks to see um, where the tax return is, you know, if somebody's looking for a refund, have payments been misapplied, things of that nature, they've never dealt with those systems because they don't have to. So that's going to be looking like a foreign language to them. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what level of participation we can get and how much that's actually going to help. So there's just too early to tell is what you're saying. There really are no yes, numbers. That, was there a deadline when people are supposed to uh, submit their interest? Uh, I do not believe they've got a deadline yet. Okay. So it's that early in the process. All right. We'll keep an yes. eye on that. I want to mention the fact that, of course, we've mentioned this before, IRS Commissioner Charles Rettig, his uh, five-year term ended recently. He has left the service as a result, gone back to the private sector. President Biden has uh, appointed or nominated, I should say, not at this point. He's nominated a new IRS commissioner. We've talked about this a little bit before. His name is Danny Werfel. We've had people, IRS commissioners, who were not tax attorneys. Probably the best example was Charles Rosati, who was an IT specialist, and it was really good to have him as commissioner because even though he didn't have the, the tax law expertise, he knew a lot about information systems and upgraded IRS internal systems a great deal while he was commissioner. Well, our new commissioner nominee, Danny Werfel, is an expert in management and an expert in budgeting, not so much in tax. So I guess the the question that comes to my mind, Duncan, what do you think this means for employees, if anything, going from a, a tax expert as a commissioner to a uh, management and, and, and budget expert? Uh, it's It should be not that big of a change. We're hoping it won't be that big of a change. Uh, commission, uh, nominee Commissioner Werfel, that's a mouthful, um, has you know been here before. He knows the system. He knows how it works. So that's, I think, is going to be a tremendous advantage to him. You know, he was here for eight months to... Uh, clean up some things, and I think that'll help him with a full five-year term. They're looking to probably vote on this early next year, I would hope, and I would hope that uh, I don't believe he has any issues, and I I just don't want it to become a political pinata. You know, we need to have somebody permanent at the helm, somebody, you know, helping us go forward, especially during this time when we've got the infrastructure money uh, to make sure that it's spent properly and where it's needed to go. So, you know, I, I think it'll be okay for employees. How how good or bad it's going to be, it's too early to tell, but I believe it'll be okay. Yeah, and uh should be pointed out that appointees like this go through a, a confirmation process in the Senate only. 
Uh, and that, that there's now a situation where I think uh, the presidential nominees will have a smoother sell getting through, although we'll, we'll wait and see over time. Uh, the day we record this on December 9th, uh, the news that broke this morning was that an Arizona Democratic senator named Kristen Sinema has said she is no longer a Democrat. Well, people started freaking out about that, but then you read a little further and find out that she's uh, decided to become an independent, much like uh, people like Bernie Sanders in the Senate, and there's another one, I believe, I can't recall his name, and and even though they are not members of the Democratic Party, uh, they are independents, they caucus with the Democrats and usually take committee appointments as Democrats. So even though Senator Sinema is no longer a Democrat, there'll still be a majority of people who caucus with the Democrats, and I think that's the important point. So it, it, there still looks to be a, a fairly smooth process for, for nominees. We think uh, Commissioner Werfel should uh, benefit from that. Absolutely. And like you said, you know, uh, Senator Sanders is an independent. Senator King from Maine is another independent. Uh, so that hopefully we'll be able to, uh, you know, have smooth sailing on the confirmation. That's that's my main point and hope. Let's move on to an issue that made a lot of news that met, uh, several months ago. And that news was, that, you know, we used to call them TCMP audits. Now we call them something else. But they call them audits from hell, basically, because every single line on a tax return is audited. And these uh, audits are done uh, so IRS can have data to know where non-compliance may be and, and, and how to target audits and so forth. So the TIGDA, the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration, did do an investigation when it came to, 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 uh, it came to be known by some media outlets that former FBI directors James Comey and Andrew McCabe had both been selected for these kinds of audits. The question was, well, he, they were both not in favor of the president at the time. Did that president intervene in the system to give them this terrible audit? Well, the TIGDA report has come back, and uh, Duncan, I think you've looked at it. Uh, explain what it says. Basically, it says that those two uh, went through the normal process. There wasn't any pressure from up above. It just happened that they were picked because... They started, uh, you know, once you start going into the private sector and earning a lot of money, you're much more susceptible to these types of audits. So they did say that they didn't find any wrongdoing on any part of it and should be, uh, you know, you know, it was just one of those one of those things and weird coincidences. Yeah, so the, the, the bottom line was uh, these returns were selected through the regular process and there was no outside interference by anyone. And uh, that's the important thing. And you and I talked about this when it came to light and we sort of suspected that would be the final uh, finding from TIGDAD. It turns out that that is the case. So I guess that just, once again, you know, the IRS has been able to say, hey, we, we did things the right way. We used our own systems and nobody interfered with it. All right, time for us. Uh, just our time's about up. Duncan, uh, your final comment for this week. Uh, my final comment's going to be, you know, we touched on a little bit the political situation out there. There's a lot of vitriol going on both sides. People get extremely upset. Um, you know, we just want to try here at NTU 
we're just trying to help make sure that your work life is better. That's it. That's what we concentrate on. And that's what we'd like all uh, politicians of any stripe that have anything to do with our budget or overseeing us or anything like that, just to make sure that we've got the proper work-life balance, that we have good working conditions, things of that nature. So, you know, when people talk about, well, you're this or you're that, no, we're NTU, I can speak from this from the highest levels down to myself. We just want to make sure things are done right and that you have the best work life possible, period, end of story. And, um, you know, I know that they, at the national level, and my brethren across the country uh, in my type of position or, you know, any other elected position or steward position tries to do the same thing. You know, Duncan, I'm going to talk about something else. I, uh, as my, part of my podcast series, I have local podcasts here in Fishers where I live, but I also do something called the Arts and Fishers podcast where I do reviews. I just wrote a review on Harry and Meghan. Now, you talk about uh, political controversies. It's... Uh, this is happening across the pond, uh, although, you know, it's getting attention in America, too. Um, Harry and Meghan walked away from the whole royal responsibility thing, and, uh, you know, it, it made a huge bit of commotion in, in Britain and a lot of attention. And anybody who knows anything about the tabloid press in London, you know, you never want to get in their crosshairs. And that's what really what happened here. The first three of them came out, and, and I want to just tell people, if you have Netflix and you want to watch this, this is not an independent or journalistic look at Harry and Meghan. This is, they have hired a production company to tell their side of the story. Mm-hmm. And they did. And, you know, maybe all their story hasn't been told. And, and, and yeah, the, the royal family gets its share of blame, but the the big villain in this so far, just three of the first six episodes have been released. The villain here is definitely uh, the tabloids in London and what they do and, and the, the paparazzi just, you know, are everywhere these people go. So uh, I just want to say, you know, if, I'll have a little fun with it. You know, you're talking serious stuff. I'm going to have some fun. Uh, if you have Netflix, you know, it, it's about, uh, it'll take a little less than three hours of your time to watch the first three episodes. If you want to uh, uh, binge on it this weekend, there are three more coming, I think, uh, the following Thursday after we record this. But I uh, found it really fascinating. You know, it's just interesting how the media works differently in in uh, in Britain and just uh, this this kind of uneasy pact. It's like, okay, the royal family... We in Britain, we pay for this lavish lifestyle they have, but we expect them to do all this public service, but we also expect that they'll allow us to see their own personal lives through this tabloid thing. It, if I, I think that's why Harry and Meghan left the royal thing. It's like, okay, we, we're, we're kind of like in this gilded cage, and uh, we just want to go off and live our own lives. And uh, just a fascinating story as an American who's, you know, we, we we swore off royalty in 1776, right? Exactly, yeah. And I can tell you from personal experience, the paparazzi can just be a horrible thing once they get around you. You know, I have that from time to time, and uh, it's it's just really tough. That's right. You're a restaurant owner, so you probably had some famous <laughs> just, people in there. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I can't oh, I bet you probably imagine. had some people. Didn't you not have some people uh, who came in who were famous people oh yeah but i'm i'm talking about me personally I was oh you making a joke well, but I, of course we have you're, you're, you're hey you're, you're the star of the podcast series 
No, it's but if you can imagine, I mean, constantly, and it's from what I hear, as you said, it's much worse in Britain than it is here in the U.S., where you're constantly under, you know, looking in, you know, Princess Diana was trying to get away from photographers when she, you know, when when she passed. So, I mean, it's it's huge over there. Well, Harry has it's not a tough way to live. Harry has not forgotten that what happened to his mother. So, you know, I mean, that's. I'm certainly sure. It's, well, I'm sorry. I thought we'd have a little fun at the end. You know, too, we had talked about too many serious things. It's just no fun at all. But you've been listening to the Chapter 49 podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I am a volunteer. I do communications for Chapter 49. And uh, our podcast is, uh, gosh, I guess this spring will hit the three-year mark. We have more than two and a half years in our belt, and we haven't been canceled yet. So I guess at least people still are willing to watch and listen. And we thank you for doing that and uh, giving us a little uh, bit of your time uh, every week on this podcast as we talk about people who work at IRS and issues related to that. So we thank you again for all uh, the feedback you have given us. If you have any feedback, send an email to Duncan Giles, nteu49 at aol.com. In the meantime, please... Be safe and be kind.